Good afternoon, everyone. I'll be reading from Acts 1, chapter, or Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, before we call it Pastor Jeff. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he has taken up to heaven. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, THMC. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Jeff Hyun, and uh, it is my pleasure to be with you, with you guys here today. Uh, to share God's word. Just a little brief intro about myself. Um, I used to pastor a local church uh, for about 17 years. Actually, 15 of it was at my home church at Saran Community Church. And uh, at the end of 2020, the church commissioned us out, my family and I, to start a new ministry called Barnabas & Co. And I believe uh, one of my partners, uh, Chris Wan, uh, has had some touch point with the sisters here at THMC. And uh, our, our, the purpose of our ministry is to really come alongside church leaders, mostly pastors, uh, some missionaries. And our main primary goal is to provide a safe place for them, to encourage them, uh, to equip them, and to empower them so that they can flourish in the ministry that God has called them to. And so uh, I actually met Eliza back at, like 10 years ago. I was speaking at a retreat at my home church that I grew up at in K-Town. And uh, we reconnected last Saturday at uh, this place called Summer of Hope. It was an outdoor event in Buena Park, and uh, she had asked if I could come and uh, share God's word with you guys. I, I believe today is special because you guys are starting a new series on the book of Acts. And so um, I'm going to be assigned this particular passage in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which is what Eliza just read. And before I get into the teaching, can I just pray one more time? And then we'll get into the teaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray over this congregation. Uh, just even from the moment I stepped in, I just sense that there's a, a, a rootedness, a sense of closeness, uh, almost like family. And I just want to pray that in this family, Lord, right now, just like the disciples in this passage right here in Acts chapter 1, as they were going through a leadership transition, as they were kind of unsure and uncertain about what lied in front of them. Lord, you came and you marked them 
and you encounter them, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I want to pray this morning that it is not by any coincidence or by accident that you have set for us this passage in Acts 1 for THMC. And I pray that as you did for the disciples, God, during this time, that you would do for the THMC family today and for the weeks to come. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. How many of you guys uh, survived the heat wave? Can I get a show of hands? <laughs> this week was crazy. I mean, it was sweltering hot. And not only was it sweltering hot, like I woke up on Friday and I thought I was still in Korea. Because the humidity was like, oh my gosh, it was unlike anything like SoCal. SoCal is typically dry heat. And so because it was so sweltering hot and because the humidity was so high, I, like many of you, had my air conditioner on from morning to the wee hours of the evening. I am so scared to see what my electricity bill is going to look like this coming month. And, um, you know, what was interesting was that Southern California Edison, which is my electricity company, they were emailing me every single morning. Did you guys get these emails, right? Saying you need to conserve your power, conserve your energy consumption, because if you don't, we're going to experience this thing called a rolling blackout, right? And I guess people were not listening because in the afternoon, not only was I getting emails from them, I was getting text messages from them saying, please, please conserve your energy consumption. And when that didn't work, I was getting phone calls from them around 5, 6 p.m. And they were like, you know, it was a voice message, but they're like pleading like, okay, hey, we are like imminently close to experiencing a blackout or a power outage, so please reduce your energy consumption. Now, I bring this up with you because it's not just Southern Californians, believe it or not, that are faced with this imminent threat of a power outage of sorts. Do you know if you talk to church scholars, church historians, if you talk to church experts about their assessment about the church in America right now, about what, how they perceive or what they analyze about the church in the West. Now, I'm not talking about West Coast. I'm talking about the church in Western culture. The assessment right now is that we are also faced with an imminent power outage of sorts. A Christianity that seems to be powerless. One that has the form and the expression of religion, as Paul says, but it's lacking or devoid of power. There's a man by the name of Charles Kraft. He's a famous professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. This is what he wrote. I don't know if you guys can see. It's kind of small, so I'm going to read it out to you. He says, the secularized form of Christianity that's spreading in the West is largely powerless. Everyone say powerless. Powerless to heal, powerless to set people free, powerless to bring about real-life change. And our churches are filled with hurting people, therefore, who have no understanding of how to gain the freedom that Jesus promised us. They think that their present state, although uncomfortable, is the best they can hope to attain because they have no idea what this thing called freedom is because they have never experienced it. That's from his book, Confronting Powerless Christianity. And what I want to tell you this afternoon, THMC, is that this was not by God's original design. Can I get an amen? That God's original blueprint 
his plan, his purpose for you as a follower of Jesus, for this family called THMC, was not to live a powerless Christianity. Can I get an amen? Not to live in the type of Christianity that has, again, a form of religion. It looks like Christianity, but it's devoid of its power. And we know this to be true because in the beginning stages when Jesus is making preparations to launch this movement called Christianity and this thing called the church with the capital C. He gathers his disciples one last time in Acts chapter 1, the passage that Eliza just read. And he gathers them into a huddle. How many of you guys are football fans today? How many of you guys are tempted to watch football team scores as I'm giving this teaching because you're playing fantasy football? Thank you for being attentive, by the way, right? You know, when a football team gathers together for a huddle, right, the quarterback usually goes over a play. Jesus was very clear about the play that they were supposed to run. Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all people, of all nations. Preach the gospel of the kingdom to all people, all nations, and then the end will come. He had been very clear about this leading up to his death, his resurrection, and now his ascension. And just when they're about to break the huddle and run the play, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, wait. Wait. Don't go yet. Don't run the play. Don't make disciples yet. Don't preach the gospel of the kingdom just yet. But wait. And he says, wait for the promise of the Father. In the NIV, it's the promise, gift of the Father. Jesus actually says something similar in the very next verse. Wait until you are clothed or immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptize is the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo means to immerse, to submerge someone, and to actually fill that person. I, I, my, my former church at Sarang, we're a Presbyterian church. We, we baptize people by sprinkling. Okay, nothing wrong with that. THMC, how do you guys do it? Sprinkle? Yeah, we sprinkle. Okay, it's okay. It's, a, it's Presbyterians, you know, Reformed, you know, traditions. This is the way that it's always been done. But the Greek word is actually more closer to immersion. And so Jesus is saying, wait until you are filled or immersed with the Holy Spirit. And he actually says, when you receive power, that is when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be clothed with power from on high. Can I get an amen? amen? That is the title of today's message. Power from on high. What does it mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In today's time, for today's generation, for today's church, what does it mean for us to be immersed, to be clothed with power from on high? I want to share with you three things that the Holy Spirit does to empower us for kingdom living, to empower us for kingdom living. And before I actually share what those three things are, I have to kind of give you an interpretive key. Because the Holy Spirit in the scripture oftentimes, you know, manifests in different forms. Sometimes he is likened to the wind. John chapter 3 verse 8 where Jesus says he's like the wind and it blows wherever it pleases. 
In Ezekiel 47, he's symbolized as this river of life that turns dead things into life. Sometimes he's symbolized in the, in the symbol of new wine or oil, but I feel like the most common manifestation or common symbol for the Holy Spirit is fire. Fire. Like the burning bush, like the pillar of not only the cloud, but the pillar of fire. These are all representative of who the Holy Spirit is and how he functions and how he works to empower God's church. So to understand how the Holy Spirit empowers us, we have to understand how fire functions. The property and the nature of fire is very similar to how the Holy Spirit actually gives life and gives empowerment to you as followers of Jesus. So let me share with you, based on those three things, as we look at the properties of fire, how that reveals how the Holy Spirit actually empowers us for kingdom living. Here's the first point of today's message. Oh, and uh, I'll skip this verse. The Holy Spirit, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does to empower us for kingdom living is that he will ignite, catalyze, and activate followers of Jesus Christ and the church. That he will ignite, catalyze, and activate disciples of Jesus Christ so that he can empower them for kingdom living. Now, where do we get this? We have to jump one chapter ahead. I'm giving you guys a little bit of a sneak pre preview of what's going to happen. But you guys already know if you grew up church in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples that are gathered in the upper room, what happened? These little tongues of fire appeared above their heads, as you can see in the photo here. Okay, now you guys are probably thinking, oh, how cute. The Holy Spirit came like a little dancing flame, you know, over their heads, right? That's kind of my interpretation of it. I'm like, why not a brush fire? Why not like this huge, massive, engulfing flame to symbolize the power? And, you know, why this little, little dancing flame over their heads, right? I was always perplexed by that. But here's the thing that you need to understand about fire. Even if it is a small flame, Whatever comes into contact with it has the potential to be ignited. That even a small flame, if you take a piece of paper to it, boom, something combusts and it catalyzes something. It actually activates something. Are you guys with me? And so in the same way, just as fire does that, I believe the Holy Spirit does the same thing for followers of Jesus and for the church you know, um, a lot of the fires that you saw this past week in Big Bear or Hemet, right? They started probably with a spark. They probably started with a small flame, but again, yet it turned into this raging fire. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It has the potential, just as it did for the early church, to ignite greater faith, ignite and catalyze greater Movement, as far as the movement of Christianity was concerned, they were no longer huddled up in the upper room, but they began to pour out into the streets of Jerusalem. And we know from that moment in Acts chapter 2, they didn't just stop in Jerusalem, but they took the gospel to not only the ends of Judea, to not only the ends of Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. So it catalyzed movement. 
And it actually activated something in them, something that they were not able to do. They were actually activated to speak in a tongue that was not native to their own. And that it actually enabled them to be witnesses to Jesus, to people, to foreigners who were visiting Jerusalem during that time. This isn't just something that God has reserved for the early church. Can I get an amen? But that same catalyzing power, the same power to ignite greater faith and boldness and passion for Jesus, the same thing that could actually activate a a greater desire and zeal for worship, for prayer, for greater consecration, holiness, all of those things comes when we encounter and experience the person of the Holy Spirit. He has this ability to activate something that's been dormant in us. Even complacent faith comes alive when we encounter and experience the Holy Spirit. I believe even something like a spiritual gift could become activated when we come in touch with the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, what was really crazy was like, I have a personal story, it's pretty recent. Last month, right, um, my son is 10 years old. I have three kids, by the way. Uh, Emily, she's 12, uh, she's in junior high, my son's 10, and then I have the boss baby of the family who's five, our kindergartner who gets away with murder, you know, she gets away with everything. So for those of you guys who have uh, the, the young ones, you know, they, they, they say, they, in Korean, they use like this notion of magne power, right, like the baby's power, and it's so true, right? But my middle child, Elijah, he's 10 years old, and um, we've been having family worship, during this time of transition, and um, I remember this one particular stretch last month, uh, he, we, we, we caught him lying to us several times, like several times, and we had disciplined him, and he lied to us again. We disciplined him, he lied to us again, and he just kept lying, and I remember I went to go officiate a wedding, and then I was driving back home. My wife calls me, and she's like, Jeff, you need to come and talk to your son, right? I'm like, your son? He's your son too, you know? But like, come and talk to your son. And I'm like, why? It's like, I caught him, you know, he was he's lying about this again. He was hiding this. And he was, and I'm like, oh, Lord, when is this going to end, right? All the parents in the house, can I get an amen, right? <laughs> so I come home, and I am about to go lean into my son very strongly. And I walk up the stairs, and I get to the top of the stairwell, and I felt this prompting out of nowhere, this conviction. And the thought that came to me, it wasn't like a voice, the thought that came to me was, Jeff, do you want to raise a morally righteous son, or do you want to raise a son that understands the gospel? Do you want to raise a morally righteous son? Or do you want to raise your son to understand the gospel? So I paused. But in that moment, all of that rage and anger and frustration, it just kind of melted away. And I go into my room, I go into my son's room, and he's like, you know, he has the blankets over. It's like 8.30. I know he's not sleeping, right? But he's like, has the blankets over. And I came over, and I peeled the blankets back, and I said, Elijah, what happened today? And, uh, you know, he's fumbling around with his words. I'm like, hey, sit up. He sits up. What happened today? He says, yeah, I just, um, you know, I, I, I lied to mommy. I said, 
yeah, he did. I said, how do you feel right now? I said, I feel terrible. I feel, I feel like I messed up again. And, you know, he's, he's 10 years old. He doesn't know how to name emotions yet. He says, you feel, you feel guilty? He says, yeah, I feel really guilty. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And right when he said that, you know, that's shame. And I said, Elijah, you know, there are times when daddy feels just like you. Daddy feels guilty. And daddy sometimes feels like, man, what's wrong with him? Why does he keep doing this again and again and again? But, you know, in those moments, that's actually an invitation for you to go to God and to ask for help. And I told him, Christianity is not willpower religion. It's not I'm willing myself to be good. But Christianity is when actually through the gospel, Christ comes into your life. And the Holy Spirit actually activates something in you, ignites something in you to actually live a life that's conformed to the image of Jesus. So I just gave a short, just a retelling of the gospel. And he says, can we pray? And I said, absolutely. So let's pray. And we started praying. Literally three minutes in, it wasn't even like past the five-minute mark. I could tell my son is being touched by the Lord. Like I, I, I've prayed with him many times. I've led him through the gospel many times, but I've never seen him like that that deeply touched, and I knew he was in this encounter with God, and we just kept praying together. We just kept praying. My wife and my daughter, they're watching TV downstairs. They have no idea what's going on, and, 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 and then all of a sudden, my son, as he's praying, he starts praying in a language that I cannot understand. You know, he starts praying in the spirit, and, and, and I was like, what is going on? And so I called my wife downstairs, and I said, honey, honey, my son is in this moment. He's, he's, he's having his moment with God. He's crying. He's repenting. He's being touched by the Lord. And so I, I literally left him. I said, honey, honey, you got to come upstairs right now. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, and my wife come running upstairs, and they're watching this whole thing happen, and they're like, what is going on? And so we start praying together. And then all of a sudden, my daughter starts getting touched by the Lord. And my daughter starts praying. And my daughter is being led to repentance. And it was like, for me, you know, as a, as a pastor, I've seen many things. I've experienced many encounters, and I've led people to many encounters with Jesus. But that moment was probably the most special moment for me. Not just as a pastor, but not just as a father, but just as a human being. And I saw that something was getting activated in my son. And I'm not just focusing on the spiritual gift part. I'm talking about there was an element of faith. There's an element of just complacent where he was just kind of doing the church thing, but something like a love for Jesus was being ignited in his heart. And if God can do that for a 10-year-old boy, can he not do that for us? Right? Because the Holy Spirit does not discriminate based on age. The Holy Spirit does not discriminate based on your background or your ethnicity or any of that stuff. But it's for those who desire it and those who have a heart to turn and to receive the free gift that was promised by the Father. And I'm praying that THMC, that you guys would long, you guys would hunger and press in for the greater 
the greater presence of God in our life. Can I get an amen? So that's the first point of the message today, is that the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, he actually ignites something. He catalyzes something. He activates something. For the sake of time, I'm going to try to move through the second and third point more quickly. In addition to activating, in addition to igniting, the Holy Spirit also refines. The Holy Spirit strengthens us for kingdom living. Okay? Where do we get this? You know, when you look at the Bible, God is often described, right? The person, the nature of God, he's likened to a refiner's fire. Can you say that with me? A refiner's fire. And you guys have heard probably the songs growing up, you know, singing refiner's fire, purify my heart, right? And that's exactly what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He illuminates sin, right? But it's not for the sake of shaming us and just leaving us in a place of guilt, but it's to purge that sin out of our life. Can I get an amen? It's to actually refine us and to make us more whole. It is to take the broken pieces of our lives and to make us more whole in Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you, I do not volunteer myself to say, God, put me through the refiner's fire. There, there's a Maverick City song, right? This is our generation version of, of refiner's fire, right? And it, the lyrics go something like this, you know. It says, I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, hear my life. And, you know, when I guest speak at other churches, people are, like, singing the song. And they're, like, so, like, and I'm, like, Dude, I'm very careful to sing songs like that or to make prayers like that because you guys know from experience that when you go through the refiner's fire, when you actually experience not just the Holy Spirit that ignites and catalyzes, but the Holy Spirit that actually refines, it is not pleasant. It is painful. It is difficult and it is hard. And there are, I would guess, in a room full of this many people, that some of you guys are in that even right now. But God's purpose of the fire, as we see in Malachi chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, is to purify, is to refine, or to make us more whole. In addition to that, as he makes us more whole, he actually strengthens us. That same refining fire, as Peter writes to the persecuted church, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says that same trial by fire, it's not only for the purpose of refinement and, 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 uh, and in wholeness, but it is to actually strengthen you and to establish you. The way I can illustrate this is, you know, have you guys uh, ever watched any documentaries or any YouTube videos on how swords are made? I know some people have like a weird kind of a thing where they collect swords. Right, I, I don't know. Okay, I'm guessing nobody here. Oh, okay, well, I'm so, I am so sorry. Yeah, everyone has their own hobby. More power to them, right? And so you can correct me on this. Maybe you know how swords are made. But, you know, the cost of a sword is really based on the sword maker on how strong and how sharp the blade is. But in order to get that blade to a certain strength, the swordsmith, what he has to do is he has to stick that blade into the fire, and he carefully watches that blade as it's in the fire because if it gets too hot, the blade will break. But if it's not hot enough, 
then it's not malleable enough where you can actually begin to draw out strength from the sword by actually taking the hammer and pounding the layers of steel and compressing it. That's what actually forges strength in the blade. And, you know, I actually think this is so like God. Because there are seasons where, again, even though we don't volunteer, he will stick us into the fire. And sometimes we're in there a lot longer than we would like to be. And some of us are probably saying, Lord, when is it time for us to take us out of this season? But he's keeping his eye, his ever so close, watchful eye on that blade, on you. And when you, when you are drawn out, just when you think everything is over, you might find yourself kind of being pounded, not by God per se, but by the circumstances and situations of life. But what he's really doing is the same thing that the swordsmith will do when he's beating down on that heated blade. He's actually compressing and he's forging inner strength. Everyone say inner strength in you. I was talking to a pastor in Portland. He's been through a lot. I see him regularly for monthly calls just to encourage him. He's been through the fire. And you know, what he said to me is that, you know, my outer life is like a living hell. But my inner life, which has been forged last year, is is what's sustaining me to be able to withstand and withhold all of the pressures that I have outside of me. The same could be for us. And last but not least, Holy Spirit not only purifies and refines and strengthens, but the Holy Spirit transforms. He transforms us. That's one of the amazing characteristics of fire. You put paper in fire, it turns to ash. You put a boiling pot of water or or just a pot of water over a fire, and that water begins to evaporate. It begins to boil, right? Whatever fire touches, it has this ability to transform that thing. Even food, certain types of vegetables that you put onto a sizzling hot pan begins to shrink those vegetables, right? Fire has a transformative quality to it, and therefore, so does the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I would not be here giving this message to you if I had not encountered and experienced the person of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's many years, during my prodigal years, when I was far away from the Lord, that the Lord met me then. Even in my years when I was actually pastoring, when I was at the peak of what was a really, 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 really difficult burnout, the Holy Spirit met me then. And I noticed that the Holy Spirit loves to show up in times and in seasons where we least expect them. And number two, when we most need them. And I pray that for THMC, that as you guys are navigating all the changes that are happening right now throughout COVID, even all the changes and transitions that are happening in the church, that you would lean into him like never before. Can I get an amen? Amen. That we will not be content with just playing church games or just having the external form of religion, but that there will be a real power that is living outside of you, inside of you and outside of you.
So can I just invite um, Pastor, if she can just come up. I just want to give you guys a brief time to respond to the message, and then afterwards we're going to go into communion. Can I just ask if you guys can just close your eyes and bow your heads? I was praying this morning, and I was asking the Lord, God, how do you want me to minister to your family here at THMC? What is on your heart for them? And God reminded me just as I prayed that just when the disciples also had lost their leader, they were going through a time of transition, and that in this time of transition, things seemed uncertain, and they didn't know what was going to happen. That's when the Holy Spirit showed up. That's when the Holy Spirit marked them and encountered them. And I just want to give an invitation for those of you who are here today. If you recognize or if there's a desire right now as the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart to say, Jesus, I want more of you. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. I want to be marked by the life-giving power and presence of God. If, if that is you, can I just ask you to stand from where you are sitting? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And can I just invite you, if you're able and you're willing, if you could place your hands over your heart. And I just want to take a moment to pray for you. Jesus, we repent. We turn away from the emptiness of religion. We turn away, God, from complacency. We turn away, just as we read, just in that liturgical prayer, from selfish living. God, we want to make room for you today. We, wanna, we don't want to be satisfied just by just doing the Sunday thing and just wearing the label of a Christian. We want to see the power of God manifesting in and through our life. So Lord, come on this free will offering that is our life. And just as you answered the prayer of Elijah and you answered by fire, I pray for the members of THMC, whether they're standing or whether they're sitting. Lord, as their hearts are open to you, answer their prayer, God. Come by fire, God, and ignite, God, something in them. Catalyze, God, Lord, new life in them, Lord. And Lord, would you begin, God, to activate faith in them, God. So do what I can't do, Lord. Touch each and every member that is here, every leader, and empower them, God, to do what you have asked them to do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a clap offering of praise?